Hello, hello. You are listening to Mustar FM 89.6. This is Natalia, a skeptical journalist from Russia. And today I want to talk with you about the show The Tindler Swindler and why did the world became so fascinated and obsessed by the new Netflix series. In case you haven't heard the story before, I'm going to tell you the content. Once upon a time, there was a guy called Shimon Hayut. He liked money, but he never had much. He was a bit of a narcissist. Like a modern Dorian Gray, he reinvented himself to attract the fans and enjoy posh life. First, he changed his name to Simon Leviev, a fictional son of a real Leif Leviev, a diamond billionaire and the founder of an organization LLD Diamonds. Charming and playful, he promoted himself with a modern means. What I mean here is Tinder app and several other apps for dating. He engaged into relationships with a Norwegian woman, Cecilie Schrode-Felhoi, playing the role of a rich business owner of a diamond company. He also played a loving boyfriend, and he played it perfectly. The women fell in love. Cecilie was not the only one, as you will understand later. In fact, he was caring, he made expensive gifts, also presented travels by private jet, luxury hotels and expensive dinners, and he was sending to his women a lot of tender messages. For example, that is how it happened with Cecily. I will now read an abstract from the story. Every morning Cecily wakes up to a message from Simon. Good morning, dear. Did you sleep well? Since January they have chatted every single day. It's only he wasn't exactly loyal, because whenever he claimed he was going on a business trip for his multi-millionaire company, he used Tinder to meet a new girl. Please bear with me, here comes the main point of the story. The girls were convinced that Simon was a man of their dreams and that he was wealthy. Leviev was dreaming of money. He would pretend to be in danger and he would send a photo of his bleeding bodyguard and borrowed money from the women he swindled under a pretext that his credit card is exposed. The money was spent on small pleasures of life, yachts, restaurants and another woman. Guess what happens next? Yes, you got it right. Same story over and over again. Women who fall in love and are ready to help Lviv out with the money. How much? We can't be sure, but it was calculated that approximately 10 million of US dollars. Yes, that's correct. The love and 10 million US dollars. He got it all, until recently. What are your thoughts on his personality? As for me, I think he is a great psychologist and not a very mature person who was looking for easy ways to live with comfort. That wasn't his first crime. Simon had been charged with theft, forgery and fraud back in 2011. After that, in 2017, yet he managed to escape and never show up in court. Let's look at the other side of the story. The women. The women who were ready to save their boyfriend and lend him huge sums of money. I mean, I wouldn't do it. Never. 
Am I prudent or greedy? Maybe I am. But no, really, I just don't have the money and not willing to take up credits for someone. And surprise, surprise, I'm not a fan of Tinder. But who doesn't dream of finding a true love of their dream? I understand. That is how the story got successful as well, in magazines and on Netflix. Everyone is curious about someone else's love stories. Now, let's go to the Netflix series. The show Tindler Swindler was released on the 2nd of February 2022. It got incredibly popular. The movie racked up over 45 million hours the first week of February. And it hit Netflix's top 10 chart in 92 countries. It lasted a month in a list of the most watched. The true crime documentary introduces you to the stories of three of the swindlers' victims. What is interesting to know here is that it was the girlfriends, Cecilia and Pernilla, who pre-selected the production company to tell the story. I think that it's due to the attractive bad character that the show became successful. Bad, neurotic, strange characters are a trigger. They make you hooked and you want to continue watching. Same as Sherlock or Joker of Freddy Krueger, the main scare of 80s and 90s. But do you think that this Netflix series will be long-lasting or remembered at least? Currently, Netflix presents endless opportunities to watch and binge-watch your favorite shows while cozily drinking tea on one's couch or washing the dishes. The enormously large amount of content, automatic play next feature, and the pressure to watch things quickly to be able to join a talk about some new show has resulted in binge-watching becoming a regular activity among Netflix users. As Time reports, according to new findings from Netflix, new members on average take 12 days to start binge-watching. 12 days and that's it, you're hooked, not remembering anything in a couple of months. To compile the data, Netflix defined binge as completing at least one season of a show within seven days of starting. According to the same report, more than 90% binge-watch their first show within a year of subscribing. Most viewers finish one season within three days. For me, that's just unbelievable. I normally watch one episode per day, maybe one episode for a couple of days. To watch the whole series within three days is just unbelievable. And I also don't know how to physically be able to do that because my eyes start hurting after maybe one, two hours of looking at my screen. I think that back in times, my favorite shows were The Big Bang Theory and Glee. And even those shows I finished within one year, not one month, not one week. So that is strange, but I'm still interested how many people actually do binge-watching if we take not only those on Netflix but on other platforms as well, including the TV. Maybe that's a lot of people. There is data that proves that binge-watching doesn't result in long memories. The study at the University of Melbourne revealed that binge-watchers remembered far less about TV shows in the long run than people who watched one episode a day or one episode a week. 
the university conducted a social experiment. Participants of the experiment were shown the 2014 BBC six-part Cold War series called The Game. There were three groups, those who had to watch one episode weekly, then those who had to watch one episode daily, and finally there was one group who had to see the whole lot in one six-hour, that is, binge-watching. When quizzed about it immediately, the binge viewers knew the most, but when the quiz followed up 140 days later, they really struggled to remember. On the opposite, weekly viewers remembered least at first, but then forgot less than the others, scoring highest out of the three groups in the 140 days later test. Why doesn't binging bring lost lasting memories then? It's due to the forgetting curve which shows how memories of an event or a Netflix night deteriorate over time if they aren't assessed. For example, if you watch an episode weekly, remembering in the time between episodes can reinforce and consolidate those memories. This study seems to make sense. Same logic applies to learning languages, poems, or playing a musical instrument. Spend 24 hours learning the piano, and it won't stick with you. But take regularly a one-hour lesson on a weekly basis, and your body will remember the tune and the moves for several years. However, I'm biased. I easily forget the movies, and I don't really like to go with a crowd. That is why I leave the episodes for next weeks or months. It's not cool these days, I know. But what can I do? Right now, I'm watching The Suits, this show started 10 years ago. That is why I must confess to you, dear listeners, even though this episode is mainly about the movie Tindler Swindler, I haven't watched it yet. Not that I'm not interested, but as a lover of texts at first place, I am fine with putting the show off till sometime. But to add some facts to you, the original was a journalism story written by four journalists. Nelly Ramohansen, Christopher Kumar, Erlend of the Arntsen, and Tora Christiansen. The story was published in Scandinavia, Norway, in 2019 on the website vg.no, short for They published both in Norwegian and English, as the happenings were international, and a lot of people were involved. There were follow-up stories from several parts of the Earth, including London, Tel Aviv, Amsterdam, New York. Everywhere there were some people who had been scammed by Lviv. However, even with these findings, the journalists were worried how the public would react. Would they like it and read it? But really, there was nothing to worry about. As they mentioned in the interview to Laura Dixon, the first hours the story proved to be a success. About the journalists, that was quite an experienced team. For example, Natalie Rimaud has been a journalist for 10 years and she worked with videos. Christopher Kumar is a documentary filmmaker and now he's a staff video journalist at VG. Erland Ofte Arnsen is now a VG correspondent in the US. I read the Tinder Swindler story a year later than it was published when I studied journalism. 
Our professors introduced us to this interactive type of journalism with the help of Tinder Swindler article. I'm going to get off the topic for a couple of minutes to wonder about modern education. In Russia, where I received my first degree, I find it quite unlikely that teachers suggest Netflix series for class discussions. Neither at schools nor at universities. Okay, maybe not in provincial universities. Maybe in Moscow that would be possible. In Sweden, however, where I studied for my master's degree, that's very different. It's considered absolutely normal to discuss adult topics with people who are in their 20s. In Russia, the education is in general quite conservative. And while you're a student, you can expect that your professors won't be involved in the conversations on controversial topics. According to the Russia state education standards, education should include a moral component. Maybe that is why schools keep it modest and don't bring about many topics of current interest. Can you imagine teachers raising a question of sex education or a Tinder story in class? I'm quite curious how it is in different places. The article includes clips, animated messages, pictures, videos of Lviv's victims and audios. It's a real fresh press for journalism and a piece that I really recommend anyone. The daily readership of that story made it close to 2 million. It became the most read story ever in the Vega newspaper so far. Christopher Kumar told JIJN that up to 50% of the readers finished the story, making an allowance for 20-25 minutes of their time. That's unique in this era of very small attention span. To explain the term attention span, your attention span is how long you can focus on something or spend on a task before you need a break or get distracted. Right now, a lot of people show signs of a short attention span and they're having a hard time to focus on tasks. It, of course, can be frustrating, but I think that's one of the components of the modern era. Some signs of a short attention span include trouble reading long texts, as well seeming not to listen, leaving the tasks partially done, making careless mistakes, forgetting activities or appointments. Well, as you can see, they can affect any part of our lives. But what I was talking about here is the attention span for reading. Like, for example, some people on Quora write that they would love to read more, but their attention span is so short that they have to reread a couple of times and they always zone out. They even ask whether they tell the doctors about that, and maybe that's a good suggestion. When you open these forums, Quora and such like, you find a lot of people who struggle with the issue of attention span, even though when they were kids, they were big readers, but after that, something else affected their routines and they cannot read long texts. Someone suggested that it's all because of new technologies and applications like Instagram, Facebook and small clips that we watch there, because these kind of videos and clips are built around generating the dopamine, the hormone of happiness, responsible for addictions as well. So the dopamine hits in our brain 
And that is what makes us loyal to the services of Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's not the same with the books. It's quite fast to get hooked to our screen and continue with the hunt for another hit of dopamine. With the books, we have usually different dynamics. It's quite hard for a long read to be that engaging and to cause that much of dopamine for users to stay long. Some of the findings show that now most people will only read up to 28% of the text on a web page. For the majority of readers, the number is around 20%. So again, 25 minutes of screen reading and watching is something. According to the journalists who actually took part in the Netflix series, the documentary turned out well because of two reasons. One is that women were actually good at telling their story. They wanted the world to know it. They wanted the world to be aware. Second, thanks to Cicely, the second girlfriend of Lviv, the filmmakers had a lot of materials. Everything was on her phone. However, and that's only my interpretation, and it has to do with the proprietary rights, but the movie puts a journalist into quite an ambivalent position. As while they were those who worked on the original story and they were filmed in the movie, they didn't have an editorial decision on it. They could, of course, specify in case of mistakes, but other than that, they didn't have a say. Then again, one of the journalists told that he trusted the production company with telling the story. Now I will quote him from the article turning our Tindler Swindler investigation into a Netflix hit. So, Christopher Kumar said, I guess I was trusting the production company to tell the story in the best possible way, that I would understand if we were not included. But from a storytelling perspective, I do understand that our video material and parts of our investigation are exciting for people to see. It was not like a demand. It was more like, oh, so it's great that you can use us to tell the story. The Swindler read the article as well. Because after the expose, he changed his profile's names to David Sharon. One of his long-term girlfriends, Aileen Coleman, saw the piece as well and gave his flight information to the authorities. Then he was arrested. That happened in 2019. And he was sentenced to 15 months in prison for fraud in Israel soon after that. If it was a fairy tale, that would have been the end of it. However, it's a real life. Hayut, which I remind you, that's his real name, was sentenced in Israel for his old crimes, not the new swindling. And he was even released from the Israeli prison after only five months on good behavior. Despite he was also accused in Norway and the UK, Germany and Denmark, he continued his lavish style of life. Currently 31 years old, Simon Leviev lives as a free man in Israel and dating an Israeli model Kate Conlin. As his representative told, he hopes to write a book, host a podcast, in which he offers dating do's and don'ts. And he also wants to star in a show in which women compete for his love. 
let's hope these are just his fantasies. Tinder once deactivated fake Lviv's profile, but it doesn't mean that the story cannot repeat to someone else. There is a huge probability that someone of the millions of Tinder users believes a pretendingly rich scammer. By the way, I said millions. To claim more precise numbers, in 2020, Tinder had 6.2 million subscribers and 75 million monthly active users. And as of 2021, Tinder has recorded more than 65 billion matches worldwide. The popularity of the app means that there are also quite a number of risks associated with using Tinder. Never stop thinking while you're on Tinder, otherwise people can exploit you. A good showcase is Maggie Archer's offer. Maggie Archer's was a 20-year-old girl from Missouri, United States. She knew well that some people are ready for a lot for satisfying their curiosity. On Tinder, she proposed a game to her matches. They had to send her $5 by PayPal so they would see what would happen next. That was written in her bio. Send me $5 and see what happens next. Once she received the money, she clicked unmatch so that her partners could not contact her anymore. Then, on her Twitter account, Maggie has shared some of the screenshots, which showed that she had received at least $35. This story is a case of a mild fraud, but it's also anecdotal. However, there is another type of fraud, where a bot gathers personal information about the user. Often, the real user is in another country or city, and then the bot develops an emotional connection with the user, and asks for money for, for example, traveling and meeting in person. That is how digital apps unwillingly create new beautiful opportunities for fraudsters. But if you like justice like me, you would be pleased to know that Lviv did serve a two-year sentence in Finland back in 2015 for the same fraud scheme. And now the real Lviv, the Diamond King, and his family suing the swindler for defamation, invasion of privacy, and impersonation. For the last five years, the Real Livia family have received many emails and phone calls from numerous European vendors regarding unpaid charters for private planes, yachts, and high-end car services. Now they are waiting for the court decision. Shagit Leviev, a daughter of the Diamond Tycoon, says it's scary how real letters, checks, passports, and wire transfers look like. There was so much detail, she tells. The swindler even had the four digits of Lviv's company bank account number. And the family say, we have no idea how he got that information. Practically speaking, it's important to know that Shimon Hayut used an already long-existing financial scheme for his dating life. The Ponzi scheme is a financial fraud that promises people to get an unrealistically high return on their investments. It's named after Charles Ponzi, who carried out the scheme in Boston, the US, in 1920s. He started a legal business with postmarks, but later he was unfortunately seduced by money. And that's how the Ponzi scheme appeared first. The Ponzi scheme is a big invention. 
because it can function for years and years, as long as the money flow is stable. If there is a lack of new investors or the old ones cash out, then the scheme collapses within weeks. One of the most famous Ponzi scheme operations was by Caritas in Romania. It promised an eight times return of investments and it was incredibly popular, allegedly collecting up to two-thirds of country's money under its win within only two years. The number seems to be very high. Now I'm talking to you and I'm actually thinking to double-check this information, but that's what I collected from the internet. Another hilarious example of Ponzi scheme can be found in India. The frauds operated Susi Emu Farms or Susi Farms. They promised potential investors a weekly return of $120 in exchange for 3,000 investment that supposedly purchased a baby emu. Susi Emu Farms had an obligation of raising the emu and the investors were told that the emu meat and oil available. The advertising featuring popular Indian film stars caused the scheme to spread throughout India like wildfire. In total, authorities estimated that Suzy Farms had at least 8,000 investors. However, the truth was that neither the meat nor the oil from emus was valuable. When the number of new investors shortened, the scheme collapsed and Suzy Emu Farms executives fled the town. I mean, poor emu birds. There were at least 100,000 of them. They were abandoned and left to starve. Luckily, the Indian government proved like responsible and kind people. They were forced to step in and they purchased $200,000 in emergency rations to feed the emus. Despite the last example is quite hilarious, I mean, so many people wanted to buy emu for some reason. I hope that neither of us ever will fall for one of Ponzi schemes. Please be aware of the scheme. Check the real interest rates. Anything which is markedly different might be a fraud. There is no such thing as free lunch. Summing up, as you can see, the frauds become more creative these days. Tinder or any other dating app is a place where a person can meet not only love but scams. And technologies help in frauding. They assist in creating an image that a person wants. Like note who became the victims in Tinder Swindler. Those were young women, most probably quite educated, and those who know how to use the internet. That is why... Fact-checking, girls and boys, fact-checking. I know it's considered weird and shameful to stalk a subject of your love online. Well, after the swindler story, we have a new ethical question. How to verify and not stalk? Where is the border between the two? Maybe it's permitted to track back just a couple of years, you know? Not a lot. Not his mother's name, something else. I don't know, that's just thinking out loud. What we also could see from this story is that books still come first before the movies, yet the entertainment industry clearly wins in attracting the audience. It makes me quite sad.
However, considering it's one of the ways to tell a story, maybe it's not that bad after all. I wonder what your thoughts are on Tinder and dating apps. And what do you think about the main swindler himself? Do you think he deserves a longer sentence? Are you waiting for him to escape again and to start his TV shows that he was dreaming about? Finally, how can Tinder make sure that it offers a safe space? There have been a lot of open questions for me after reading this story. I hope you enjoyed today's topic. If you have any suggestions for the next talks, send them over on Facebook or Instagram to our main page Mustard FM. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.